Ah, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I actually wanted to, you know, him to send a video from where he was, but he didn't, and I don't know. But I am so grateful that your pastors are getting away and that they are getting this time. And, and I can say as a pastor, and, uh, and actually what I want to share with you today, I believe is going to tie that in, but it is, I am so thankful that he and Toya and Alicia and Araya, Arena, um, Ariana, Ariana, I got that. Please forgive me, Ariana. I'll get that back. And RJ, and that they are having a great time being together as a family. And if there's ever a time we need to be a family is today. And getting to have dinner last night with Brian and Suzanne, that was priceless, man. And, uh, and it was also good. Uh, it, was, it was good Thai food that was delicious. But look at your neighbor and say, man, I'm so glad you got to sit near me. I should, you should be blessed today. Amen. Y'all are kind of quiet for a Presbyterian church this morning. Y'all are really. No, I, it is so good to be here. I've been looking forward to this and uh, being able to come and share. I'm so thankful my, my, um, my, my girlfriend is with me, and she has been now for 36 years. And uh, would you stand, Lisa? I'm glad she is here. Yeah, she is the mother of our four children and Mimi of five grandchildren. So she is, um, and, and she's still as beautiful today as when we lived on East Leela Street, down in that, um, that, little, that little place we lived in for five months before we got to move out of here and move down to Lakeland, Florida. And uh, I took her away from her mother that was, as Mama Charlotte would say, her mother. And um, because I... I, I I know, I know Tita's in the back and Mike and, you know, I never met anyone like Mama Charlotte and, um, and, and to have that Southern, that South Alabama doesn't pronounce ours, mother, father, fire. And anytime she'd say fire, God would honor that. I mean, she just had something about that. But when I took her away from here, um, it was kind of, um, I didn't realize the disconnect that was happening. So we went to Bible college, and for like the first two months, every other weekend, I would have to drive her 12 hours one way, leave after school on Friday, get her here to see her mother, and then drive her back in time for 7.30 classes on Monday. And uh, I, I had, I, it was worth every bit of it, though. And um, she, thank you, Lisa for letting me take you away. But how many have your Bibles today? Come on, take them, hold them up, turn them on, whatever you're reading from. And it's so good to see, uh, uh, I, when, I, when I say, please, there's no distinguishing mark here, but when I see our, our former Rock Campus and I see all of our people here, and it's all one, it's chapel, and I'm so grateful for that. And watching this journey has been one of the most beautiful expressions I've ever experienced in my life. And it is an honor to be connected with you and an honor to be in your pastor's life and letting him be in my life. That has been a blessing because it's a mutual blessing. But I want you to say this with me. I am. Come on, you can do better than that. I am what his word says I am. I can do what his word says I can do. I can be what his word says I can be. So right now, I will hear his word, I'll receive his word, and I'll obey his word because I love his word. I want you to take your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 21. I want to read um, a passage of scripture to you today. And, and I, want to, I want to talk to you because I really feel what, what your pastor is doing. You know, my prayer as a pastor is that I can just tee up a ball when he's here next week. And they get back in pocket. And you better buckle your seatbelt because you have allowed them, you have gifted them with this moment to be able to get away, get refreshed, have after seven years of coming in, taking the reins of an amazing legacy church, and you've given them opportunity to give away, you better buckle your seatbelt because when he gets back, it gets really busy. Because of the freshness of vision, God is going to pour, has been pouring into their life. I haven't said a word to him 
But I thank God, a few years ago, our board allowed Lisa and I and our family to do that. And it impacted our life for the rest, every year that we're able to do that. It, allows, it allowed us and has allowed us to, uh, to just go and get fresh. Just, Lord, we want to we keep running with what you've called us to do. And it affects this vision of this church. It affects the leadership of this church. It affects you. And I believe it's, it is time sensitive to what you've allowed them to do. But I want to speak to you today on when rest rules. When rest rules. But in John 21, very familiar passage if you've known the Lord at any length. Here's what it says. And after these things, Jesus showed himself. This is after the resurrection. He showed himself again to the disciples. Now, in other words, he'd already, he, he'd walked through the walls of the upper room. He'd already appeared to everyone, including he finally came back and he met Thomas when Thomas was doubting. And, and, and in that moment, he didn't really realize it was really Jesus was alive. But now Jesus said, go into Galilee. I'm going to meet you there. And again, the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias or there at Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself and Simon Peter. Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, who were James and John, and two others of the disciples were together. Isn't it cool, man? You didn't always have to have your name in the pot to be a disciple. Come on, you didn't have to have some image thing that, hey, I, I need my name on the ledger. I got to have my name. And here were two guys. We didn't even know who they were, but they were disciples. They were just as important. They were in the boat. They were still there with Peter. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Father, I ask you in these next few moments, you would allow my tongue to be the pen of a writer that somehow I could write your heart to your incredible people that are gathered here, gathered online today, and I ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. It's really interesting, this phrase, I am going. In the Greek, it actually means to withdraw or retire, as if to disappear. I just want to disappear, literally or figuratively. It has to do with drawing yourself to go away or to depart. It literally means, in the Greek, it means I retire. In other words, it means I quit. I've faced this thing long enough. I've gone through, even a resurrected Jesus was not good enough to face the pain, the disregard, the disappointment, the failure of one called Peter. And knowing Jesus was said he was going to come and meet them, before he got there, he looked at these other friends that had walked a three days journey to get to Galilee from Jerusalem. Why didn't he want to just hang out in Jerusalem? We were already in the upper room. Why did Jesus want us to come to Galilee? And after waiting and waiting, Peter says, man, I, I quit. I retire." I just want to disappear. <laughs> I, I, I want to give up. He wants to go back to his old way. The first time Jesus called him, he was out. He'd fished all night as well. <laughs> and, and the Bible said he had toiled all night. Toil means to work extremely hard, incessantly. It, it's, it's derived from the verb meaning to drag or to struggle. He said we toiled all night. We didn't catch anything. Well, maybe that word wasn't used here, but he is in the same boat. He's in the same, probably the same spot that Jesus found him the first time doing the same thing he was doing. And Peter said, man, you know what? I don't get all of this. I'm overwhelmed. Everything has not really gone the way I thought it was going to do and go. And I just, I quit. I retired. That's how Jesus found him. It says in Luke 10, they told all night. He just wanted, anybody, have you, has anyone just wanted to quit after this past year and a half? Now, let me try this out over here because you, you gotta, if you'll talk to me, we'll get out of here at least by 11 o'clock while the other service comes in. No, that's not true. But I'm, you got to talk to me just a little bit. Has anyone wanted to just quit and give up this past year and a half? 
Listen, I don't think you've, if you haven't wanted to quit, you probably haven't awakened yet. Now, there's a lot of woke stuff going on. Now, I'm not talking about the woke place. I'm talking about it's time for the church to arise and shine for our light has come. It's time to awake out of our slumber, out of our sleep. It's even time to get up, awake, and arise and get out of the I want to quit mentality. I just want to give up. I just want to get back. I want things to get back to normal, but could someone please help me what is normal? But watch this. It means to be emotionally unplugged. People just have tended to go through the motion, emotions and, and the motions of marriage, of the job, trying to learn to work from home, trying to do this, trying to reevaluate what is, what do I want to do in life? Who, I, who do I want to be in life? See, too often we are human doers and we've not learned that we are human beings. Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he wasn't calling us to come and do something for him. He was calling us to be with himself, to come and be with him. It says when he called the disciples, first of all, he called them to be with him. See, there's an understanding sometimes we have lost in the Western church that we think the being the church are, is about doing churchy things, doing programs, even showing up in church. We, that is more on our to-do list than it is on who we really are. Now, just stay with me today. But too often we can get emotionally detached. We can get separated. We, we're standing apart. We're disconnected. We're removed. We're isolated. So many are fed up and they just want to give up because they're living to produce instead of being. Living overwhelmed, overcome. See, the enemy, if he can't get you to live in some blatant sin, he will try to push you over the edge to wear you down and weary you from toil and trouble. I'll just let that settle for a minute. He wants to wear us down. He wants every life. My wife just got that. She's usually, I can set her for about three minutes and she'll catch that one. And some of you are saying, I have no idea what you're just talking about. He's trying to wear you out with life and every attack, with shutdowns, isolation, racial division, political upheaval. Prophetic mayhem. Everything over these last number of months that has wearied people. And just, you know what, I don't even know if it's worth it. I just want to retire. I want to quit. I want to give up. I want to go do something else. I've lost my creativity. I've lost my will to fight. The moment you lose your will to fight, you have lost your will to win. See, Joe, the moment you lose your will to fight... She told me to, because see, my, my dad told me, he said, son, a healthy marriage is just, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Think about, look at Job. If anyone wanted to give up, it was Job. If it was, you, however you pronounce it, I want to give up on Job or, or my job, one or the other. But if anyone wanted to give up and then to lose his family, all of his children, to lose all of his possessions, his houses, his lands, to lose everything, all because of a conversation God had with Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? I mean, that's a consideration. I've never wanted God to have a conversation with the enemy about. And all God left him with was his wife. And she was not a fun one. She was not a happy one. She, she was a very, she finally said to him in Job 2.9, she said, his wife said to him after everything, are you still holding on to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Are you still trying to hold on to be strengthened, to prevail? Are you trying to still be strong in this, in your integrity, in honesty, in truthfulness? Why don't you just stop all this stuff, curse God and die? And man, it messed with him. Here's a guy who wanted to quit. Here, here, here's what he said. I love reading. You know, I don't read a lot from the King James version of a lot of anymore. 
because I don't speak that way. Sometimes those get to you. You know what I'm saying? I like something to at least take the out. I mean, there was a group of people years ago, they said, well, if the King James Version was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. Well, all right. But I love, any time I read that, I, I, have to, I have to take the King James Version and put it Southern. You know, and when I read in King James Version, the response, his cry, Job's cry to God, he said, Hast thou not poured me out as milk? Curled me like cheese, I am full of confusion. And then I had to think, I'm like, what is he saying? And as a southern boy, from Double Springs, Alabama. I had to just realize, he's saying, Lord, you stirred up my life and I've gone sour and I'm confused. <laughs> I understood that. I've lived that. He went on to pray, Oh, wherefore hidest thou thy face and holdest me for thine enemy? This is right after his wife is saying, curse God and God. And I'm like, what does that mean? He said, God, you took my children, you took my stuff, everything I have except you left me with this wife. Why am I your enemy? That's what he was saying. He said in chapter 16, in verse 16, he said, my face is foul with weeping and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. What he's really saying is, I've been crying so much my eyes is redder than a mosquito bite on a hot summer day. My face just looks like a dead man. <laughs> I mean, no, that doesn't sound like a man who's going to have something restored. It sounds like a man who just wants to quit. Look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, oh, Lord, you have deceived me. I was deceived. I'm in derision every, daily. Everyone is mocking me. I'm only trying to do what you told me to do, but it doesn't seem like everything is working out the way I thought it should do and how I thought it should happen because I'm serving you. He went on to say, cursed be day when I was born. Cursed be the man who brought tidings to my father saying, a man child is born unto him, making him very glad. He's, he's like, God, I pray, curse that man. I pray I could slap him in the next week for even bringing the news that I was born. How was that? Doesn't sound like a fearless prophet. Sound like a faithless man. The Bible's full. Look at Elijah. After the greatest, one of the greatest miracles in the Bible, here is a man who is walking out. He's actually correcting and taking out 400 prophets of Baal. He had, he had set the stage saying, it's going to rain. It's not going to rain. He, they followed the very word of the Lord that he would give. And because of one Jezebel rising up against him at the greatest point of his victory and the miracles that God had done there in that place, Forty days, he runs from her, and he's begging God to let him die. I quit. It says in 1 Kings 19, he said, I requested for him, just God, would you just let me die? I don't, I don't know. See, during that time, Elijah lost all sense of memory of the miracles God had done before. Isn't it incredible that the enemy can so try to entrap or surround us, paint us in a corner, that what we're facing right now, it doesn't matter what pages we have read of the faithfulness of God, we can look back and tell every testimony of where he brought us from. Isn't it amazing? We can forget those moments when we're staring at the blank page of today and we have no idea how our life can be written in this. And we just want to quit. And we can't even remember the miracles God gave us. He was saying, Lord, I gave you everything. I laid down my life. I had no personal agenda. I wanted only to please you. And now this stuff, 
God, where are you? We pray for revival. We pray for a great awakening. But I can't seem to want to get out of bed, crawl over, and just put my clothes on for another day. I don't know if I really want to do this or just go fishing. Just go back and forget it all. Jesus never rebuked Peter for fishing. He actually didn't even rebuke him for his lack of faith. He just showed up in the middle of his retirement and said, I'm not finished with you. Man, when you look at every apostle, every prophet, they all faced those dark moments of the soul. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he would say, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia and that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despised even of life. We despaired even of life. Think about it. There's Paul. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises from the dead. He delivered us, our past, from so great a death and does deliver us in our present in whom we trust and that he will deliver us in our future. He delivered my past, he's got me in my present, and he's got me for what's ahead. He said in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, he said in Macedonia, we had no rest. He said, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Now watch this. Inside were fear. See, it's not only what's going on around us. It is the anxiety and the fear that we have had that so many have endured for so long. They become numb to hope and they're just going through the motions and they just want to go fishing. And that's all right. Paul was speaking of mental anguish. He was talking about despair. But here, I want to take these next few moments, but I want to talk to you about how God gives rest to his people for the rest of their story. I went on a sabbatical a few years ago. It was actually a very critical time in our life, in our ministry. In the, in the ministry of the rock, it was a very critical time, a, a very strong crossroads. And I was just, I, I was depleted. And I was striving for rest. The scripture says, strive that you would enter into the rest of God. There's work. <laughs> it seems like we don't even know how to process that. But what, what does it mean? I don't work out. I don't work to be saved. But there is, why is it there's a working out of our salvation? Because what that means is salvation is working out of you. You got to understand you need deliverance before you appreciate the deliverer. You got to understand, man, when God allows us to get to moments where we get depleted, but He never intended us to be seasonal people or depend on rest on a yearly basis. He intended us to walk in a place that has daily provision. He has rest for his people. I love it what Paul said in Philippians. He said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. Everyone say peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. The same one who said, I know what it is to have conflict without and fear tormenting me within. But he said, but God has a peace that takes you beyond it. Peace. Shalom. Shalom in the Hebrew, actually one of the main definitions of shalom is nothing missing, nothing broken. Let me say that again. Shalom, peace. You go to Israel. Shalom. You go Israel. You, you try to create it here in the south. Shalom, y'all. <laughs> But he said, this peace of God surpasses all understanding. 
Do you know that God commands us to rest? It actually says in Hebrews 4, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fail by following their example of disobedience. It says in Mark 2, and then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You know the top 10? When was the last time you read out of Exodus the top 10? Now they're trying to take it off of every... Um, you know, all of our governmental buildings, but you can, you can try to erase it, but you can't stop what God has already laid out. His law is his law. And there, there are things we try to keep in pace. Thou shalt, you know, honor the Lord your God. Don't take his name in vain. Don't kill, don't steal. We, we love those. But do you know there, there's one stuck in the middle of all of that that says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's the fourth commandment. It was essential to Israel. Actually, into the dispersia for the 2,000 years of being dispersed to the nation after the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Do you know what the Jews will say to this day? They will say what kept the Jews was Sabbath because the Jews continued to keep Sabbath. One of the sustaining factors, one of the keys of them being restored, that God miraculously brought them back. It wasn't, a mirac- it wasn't a miracle to God. It was just his promise. What we call a miracle is nothing more than God's promise. He brings them back, and one of the sustaining things that after being away for 2,000 years, a nation is birthed in 1948. A nation rises up still speaking the same dialect Jesus spoke when he walked on this planet. And one of the things that kept them, because it's lunar, because not only did they remember Passover, no matter where they were, they remembered Shabbat, Sabbath. It actually made one of the top ten. It means to set it apart. Why? Because God delivered them out of Egypt. The first thing he said to Pharaoh was, let my people go so they can come and worship me. Do you know the whole purpose of God bringing you out of bondage is so he can teach you worship? God doesn't have an ego to stroke. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need you to do something for him. It's not the calisthenics of charismatic worship of stand up, lift your hand, clap your hand. You know, whatever we do that we kind of label. Worship is not what you do. It is who you are. And the very thing he said, I'm going to teach you to stop making bricks. And that your life is not made up of the toil of brick making. Because that's what the Pharaoh had them doing. They made the bricks to build Egypt. It was make the bricks, get up every day, more bricks, more bricks, all day, all day, work, 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 infatuated with the bottom line, with no restraints, nothing of how you get there. It It had to do with building for the glory of what man can do. That's what the work, the toil was about. See, there's a difference in work and toil. We're living in a day right now when a lot of people don't want to work. But he that doesn't work doesn't eat. There's a, there's, it's scriptural to work hard, but there's a difference in toil and labor that you're trying to show the glory of what you can do. It's brick-making. It's a brick-making mentality. And God was saying, I'm going to break that in your life that you will not be defined by what you do. I'm going to bring you out of bondage so that you will be defined by who you are. You are my people called by my name. And if we don't learn that we are his people, we will never understand who we truly are in him. Because we have forgotten who he is in us. The old English word Sabbath is actually the Hebrew word Sabbat. It means rest. Shabbat Shalom 
is rest in, in peace. Shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken. Rip, rest in peace. You can say it, rest of peace. So when, when, when a Jew is, is celebrating or those who, who celebrate, I'm not talking about legalism or getting into some Hebraic bondage, but I am talking about if we keep the other commandments by the grace of God, we need to understand if we, it's more than just a day, it is about a person. Jesus said, I am the Shabbat. And so when you say, when they tell you Shabbat Shalom, they're saying rest in peace. Rip it, tater chip. Whatever you got, let it rip, tater chip. As one guy said the other day, and I didn't really care for that. But I don't know why. I, that really didn't make a lot of sense. Are you all awake? Anybody? <laughs> See, we think if I'm busy, then I'm productive. If I'm productive, then I'm valuable. If I'm valuable, then I'm seen. And if I'm seen, I'm fulfilled. That's toil. See, God wants to bring us into a place to understand what Sabbath. It reminds us that man's labors and creations can never satisfy the soul. Only God can. Did God need to rest? <laughs> God didn't need the rest. God doesn't need the worship. He doesn't have an ego to be strong. He has no need. But yet when he created us, he created us as the creation of need. Our need is him. We can never understand our purpose without understanding our creator. Why do you think the enemy is so line-itemed in trying to stop even the belief of a creator or creation. Because man's tendency, human nature, is I can serve what I make with my hands because I value what I can produce. Because, even, because in that, at least I can see it. And God says, but you will never understand what you can do unless you understand who I am. By stepping into relationship with me. See, Sabbath reminds us that all my labor, anything I'm creative with, can never satisfy. Only God can. Sabbath breaks cultural demonic demands. The culture says you don't, you, you don't have to be more. You gotta spend, you gotta have be more, you gotta spend more, do more, sell more, control more. You don't, you don't, you, you gotta be more young, you gotta look younger, you gotta be more beautiful, you gotta do this, you gotta change, you've got to do all of these things. But God wants to say, but I want you to be who I've called you to be. But if you keep listening to the voices around you and you never shut it down to hear me, you'll never know that relationship. I remember when I was going through that season, I said, Lord, you've got to show me your rest. You've got to show me your rest. And I was believing him for some things and I was really struggling with some major doubt. It wasn't about getting something from God. It was just doubt within myself. And he said, Rusty, I cannot give you rest until you trust me. Because if I let you rest in the middle of this moment, then I have sanctioned your unbelief. Because your rest is not in what you can do. I'm teaching you to rest in who I am. See, I can work and not toil. But the enemy is striving to wear you down. Toil and trouble. It says in 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Evil one in this verse, it's really incredible. In the Greek, it actually means to toil. Guys, if you'd come, to toil. <laughs> that evil one in the Greek is defined and identified by toil. What happened to the children of Israel in making the bricks? Bake the bricks. Do, 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 do. See, religion says you got to do this, do that, do this, impress God, live this way. But, but relationship, the cross says it's already done. 
But unless you learn to enter in this, you'll toil. And the word evil one means to toil. In his book, Money and the Prosperous Soul, Stephen De Silva actually brings out a point in this that I, I had never seen. He said, what if you took the word toil and you put it in t- 10 key verses? And in these verses, you get an idea of how the evil one works you. Just like Matthew 13, 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, toil comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. In Matthew 13, speaking of the field, he said the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares, all the tares are the sons of toil. John 17, 15, it says, I do not ask you, Jesus said, to take them out of the world, but keep them from toil. Keep them from the evil one. He said in Ephesians 6, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish every flaming arrow of toil. First John, John said, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who's from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you've overcome toil. And I've written to you children because you know the father. I could go on and on, but hear me. I want to remind you again, I'm not talking about tolling. Toll is not equal to work. It's not the same thing. There's a value of work. But toil means, again, to work extremely hard, incessantly. It derives from the verb that means to drag or to struggle. It's an oppressive spiritual force that tries to separate work from its spiritual purpose to drive us drive us. Too often we are driven people. The Lord said to me years ago, he said, son, my people too often are driven by their purpose instead of being led by my spirit. They're just driven for success. I know what that is. I know what it is to try to label success with butts in the seats. I got to the point we were all trying to count both cheeks. Because we thought that was success. I can't find anywhere in this word how to grow numbers in a church. But what I can show you throughout the whole Bible is how to grow people in his kingdom. How to grow disciples. How to make disciples. Hear me today. Keep Sabbath. Friday evening, beginning at 6, sundown, all throughout the world, a practicing Jew will begin to greet one another, Shabbat Shalom. Rest in peace today. See, isn't it amazing that it was evening and morning? Do you know that God's timetable began in the evening? God's morning really began in the evening with sleep. Not his morning, but his day, the day, Jewish day, begins in the evening at sunset. Because God wanted you to start your day resting. He didn't want the alarm clock starting the day and going into a frenzy. Because he knew that we would not know how to rest in the day for the rest of the story. There's a place to live in. Mark 2, 27. Sabbath was made for the benefit of man, not man to benefit the Sabbath. It's his promise. One of the hardest things I've ever had to learn to do is to rest. Just to turn it off. You know what rest brings you into? Worship. He took them out of Egypt, out of the toil of making bricks. And he brought them into a place of a mountain where he could meet with them. But they said, Moses, 
tell God not to speak to us like that again. We, the mountains shook and smoked, the earthquake, we can't handle that. God's voice was a little too intimidating. You just let him talk to you, and you talk to us. What does that do in a household if you walked into your children? And as a dad, you looked at your kids, and you just wanted to be with them, hang out with them, play, enjoy. You wanted to teach them things, and they went to your mom and go, hey, hey, mom, dad is just a little too intense. We really don't care for hanging out with dad. I know he wants to hang out with us, but we, dad's a little too, he's over the top. He's a little too authoritative, it seems, and you can't get, we can't get to know his heart, so just tell dad to talk to you. And you talk to us. We kind of like how you sound. What kind of relationship would there ever be? There would be none. You know what worship is? It's quiet in your life. And it's remembering. This is all about you. It's not about me. This is about you in the middle of turmoil and crisis and you just want to quit and retire. There's a resting in peace. There's shalom. Rest in peace. Shalom, shalom. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. There's a treasure inside because of Jesus. Because God, we, we have a kingdom that's not a shaking mountain like Sinai. No, we have a kingdom that came from the king. And now he doesn't just come to be with us. He is not just for us, but he is inside of us. The prince of peace, shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken, lives inside of you if you know him. And we get so busy. We forget that there's a hope inside of us, a hope of glory. We forget that we are a, a, we are a jar, clay, a clay jar that contains a great treasure. I close with this today. Rick Norsigen. Rick was a, actually, he had a hobby of bargain hunting at garage sales. Anybody like to garage sale hunt? Just my mom is, you know, if I need something, I call my mom. I said, Mom, just check out the next garage sale. Well, that was Rick. Rick would, he would, um, he would go yard sailing, garage sailing every weekend. And one day he actually bought these two boxes of photographs. He gave $45 for them after talking the owner down from $75. He kept these little boxes underneath his pool table for four years before he went in, reached under, grabbed them, and thought, I just want to see, what, if, what do I, I don't even know what I have. $45 box of photographs. He took the pics, had them appraised, and was astounded that these boxes contained 65 glass negatives created by famed nature photographer Ansel Adams. In the early period of the career, experts believed that they had thought all of Adam's plates, all of his pictures were destroyed in a fire in 1937. If you don't know who Adams is, he is in between 1919 and the early 1930s. He, was known, he became known as the father of American photography and was nationally recognized in the 1940s. Some of his pictures you can see. When he had these appraised, he had no idea what he had underneath his pool table. The appraisal went from $45 to it's estimated today over $200 million. He didn't know he had a treasure in a box. It's still being fought over today. He had no idea what was there because he never took the time for four years to reach under a pool table and just open the box and learn. What happens to us? We get so busy. We have no idea the treasure is inside of us. Priceless. Everything that we need that pertains to life, to godliness, everything. It's him. 
He's the answer to every societal, cultural challenge. He is the answer to every family. He's still the answer to every marriage. He is the answer to every moment of crisis and, and debate and disagreement. He is still the answer. He is still the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the author. He is the finisher of our faith. It is Jesus, the Christ, the Prince of Peace, the ruler of peace. He is my shalom where nothing is missing, nothing is broken. In him I live, I move, I have my being. And how many times in the day do I rush right by him? How many times do I get so busy in trying to build a business or build an image or be creative or do this or I've got to do that? I've got, he says, Russ, it's not about what you do for me. Son, if I created the world with a spoken word, I can create anything I need at any time. I just want you. I did all of this for you. Come away and know me. Rest for the rest of your story. At every challenging moment of my life, there is a foundation that was laid when I was a boy that he surrounds me with songs of deliverance. He is my deliverer. He's my hope. He's my joy. He's my song in the night. He's my peace when I feel so much anxiety and I feel the conflicts around and the fear going on within. He's my everything. But he lives inside of me. And greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Father, thank you for your word today. I thank you for your people. Lord, I pray, I thank you for a pastor. That Lord, a, a church celebrated he and Toya and their amazing children getting away. Lord, it's, it's more than just a month of a year, a week out of a month. It's even much more than a day out of the week, but yet you gave us a day. And more importantly than then if it's on Friday evening, beginning Shabbat, going through Saturday evening, or whether it's Monday, whether it's Tuesday, but we make sure not only is our day begin with you, but Lord, we give you a day in the week where we just reflect. Lord, I know Sunday is the first day of the week. It's when the church and the early church came together came to celebrate what you had done during the week. But may we never toil and miss the rest of God for the rest of our story. If you're here today and you say, you know what, Rusty, I've just wanted to quit. I've wanted to give up. I'm just, man, I, you, you don't understand the things that have hit me. And I, I get that. But he knows. And he loves you today. And you just lift your hand and say, that's me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Rusty, I just need, I need his refreshing. You got to acknowledge it first before you. I just need times of refreshing, man. God's wanting to wake his church up. There's, there's a lot to be done. There's a lot coming. Yes, there are things to do. But if we do them just because they're, see, before the Great Commission was ever given to us to go into all the world, he said, no, I want you to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, strength, and soul. And out of that, you'll learn to love your neighbor as yourself. And from that place, I'll send you to the world. Because if you don't know the love of God that's been poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit, you will never have love for the ones that he wants to reach through you. Anyone else say, that's me, Rusty, pray for me. Father, thank you for today. Could we all stand? Could we all stand as I'm about to dismiss you? I want to be sensitive to how you flow here. Because when I'm home, red... Red numbers mean nothing to me. 
the service today. Would you just, as an as a act of surrender, what it is, it's a yada. It is the lifting of your hands, the opening of your palms. And to do that, it means you got to let go of everything around you. That's why it's a yada praise. It's surrender. Could we say this together, Lord Jesus? Thank you. You are my prince of peace. You are my hope. You're my joy. You're my life. Forgive me when I've tried to live it myself instead of relying on your life in me. Lord, I surrender everything. I rest in you. This rest you said you have for your people. I step into that today. My outward things, conflicts around me may say one thing. Maybe fears within me are trying to define another. But Lord, I believe you. I trust you. I rest in you. And with your strength, by your power, I'm just going to trust you. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Lord, I pray today that today would never be the same again. I pray that, Father, your people would find themselves in a place of rest, settled. When we're at rest, it means it's settled. We come into your gates with thanksgiving, into your gates of authority, in, into your courts where everything is settled. The court of the Lord settles it all. It's already settled. It's already done. We may be seeing the outward expression, but no, in your kingdom, it is an already done moment. It's settled. So we come into your gates with thanksgiving, into your courts with praise. <laughs> and we're thankful. And I bless your name. I bow to you because you are good and your mercy endures forever. Amen.